This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. I'm Amelia Freeby, and this week, we're in Rhode Island. Through the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist Welcome back to the 50 Feminist States podcast. This week, we're in Rhode Island, which just so happens to be the smallest state in the U.S. by area. And we're here talking about fatness and adventure. Before we get to that, just a reminder that you can sign up for the 50 Feminist States newsletter at 50feministstates.com slash newsletter and follow us on Instagram at 50 Feminist States. That's F-I-F-T-Y Feminist States. We are nearing the end of season two which is a little bit sad, but even more exciting because there are so many more states and episodes to come. But you'll want to be following along for updates in between seasons. So be sure to do that at 50feministstates.com slash newsletter or find us on Instagram at 50feministstates. So as you just heard, this week we're in Rhode Island, and there I traveled to Providence and talked to Samantha Puck, one of the co-editors of Fat Venture Magazine, which is an amazing publication all about fat folks adventuring and traveling and moving their bodies in whatever way suits them in the world. I fell in love with this magazine before I even saw an issue when they were crowdfunding on Kickstarter for their first issue, but they're currently doing that for their second issue now. So I will include the link to their Kickstarter in the show notes. Please go help support them if you are inspired by their work or this episode to do so. If you were a fan of our Idaho episode with fat feminist activist Amy Pence Brown, you're really going to love this one as well. We'll hear about how Fat Venture started and the role it serves or aims to serve in the fat feminist community. And what I love in this episode, maybe even more than that, is how open Sam is about her experience of being fat in this world we all live in that pushes diet culture on us and tells us that fatness is bad and that fat people are lazy and awful and horrible. Sam will talk about that and talk about how she learned to reject that and appreciate her body and herself and be a person who loves their life. Her story was really inspiring to me as a person who has also gone through that journey. So without further ado, I'll get straight into the interview. Here's Sam. So my name is Samantha Puck. I am the co-creator and editor-in-chief of Fat Venture Mag, which is a digital and print publication that features work by fat women and non-binary creators who are into being active but not into toxic weight loss culture which is gross and incredibly pervasive. Uh, My co-creator, Alice Lesperance, is somebody that I've known for years. We met on Tumblr. You know, one of us followed, you know, the other one, and then it went from there. But um, so we've known each other for a long time. And and Alice came to me, I guess it was about a year ago now, and was asking me for advice on getting into, like, outdoorsy spaces and active spaces as a fat woman because they can be extremely closed off and limiting to people who are not – cis heterosexual thin white men and I am pretty vocal about the fact that I'm a biking commuter so you know I post pictures of my bike on Instagram her name is B she's a 1970s French bike with uh, yellow handlebars and a blue frame she's great but uh you know and I and I talk about hiking with my partner and things like that um and I've for the last couple of years I've been out as fat on the internet which has its own sort of 
rich history to it, I guess. And so Alice was like, hey, you're the only person that I know who does this stuff. <laughs> so where can I go to find the resources to get into these spaces where I'm not going to be, you know, othered and made to feel really uncomfortable about my weight or made to feel like I'm doing it wrong because I'm not trying to lose weight. And I was like, okay, well, off the top of my head, there's Fat Girls Hiking, which is an Instagram community. Um, and they have chapters all over the country. And I think there's a couple in Canada right now also where um, people go on accessible hikes together and it's open to fat women, you know, and queer people. And it's just, it's really cool. And then uh, there's also Unlikely Hikers, which is run by um, Jenny Brusso. And Unlikely Hikers is also an Instagram community that features like photos and videos of people that I guess are not generally considered to be outdoors people. So there's people of color, there's fat people, there's people who use wheelchairs, people who use, you know, canes or walking sticks or um, other implements to help them get around. And it's really cool to see that, but there's not a lot of it, right? And so with Alice, I was like, okay, well, these are the two I can think of off the top of my head. That's just for hiking. <laughs> if you want to talk about biking, I don't know any fat bikers other than myself. And then we kind of started talking about it. And I realized that she's not the first person who's asked me those kinds of questions. And I also realized that I did not discover those communities on my own. My partner introduced me to them because my partner is a person who's really into the outdoors and is also really into inclusivity. And so my partner was like, hey, you should check out these Instagram accounts. And I was like, cool, that sounds great. And then that was at a time when I was just starting to get comfortable with being outdoors. I grew up in the Sierra Mountains in California. Everybody's outside all the time. It's, a, you know, I grew up in Tahoe, which is a skiing town. And then you hike in the summer. And I was always the weird, sweaty, fat girl. And so I didn't want to be outside with everybody else. I also hate bugs, which is a distinctive problem when you want to go outside. Um, and then with my partner, like once we started living together, we, you know, we we go camping and I got back into biking after 13 years of not riding a bike and we hike and we do all that stuff. But I can say with some honesty that I wouldn't have done those things if not for them. And so then in talking to Alice, I was like, maybe there should be a space that kind of encompasses all of the outdoorsy and active things that fat people do. Not that there's anything against hiking or like hiking specific communities, but let's see if we can do something broader. And then we tweeted about it and we had no idea what form it was going to take. You're like, it could be a website, it could be an Instagram community, it could be, I don't know, it's going to be something like low commitment though. Like we're not, you know, it's not going to be like a thing. Well, we were really wrong about that. <laughs> um, it definitely has become a thing. We're now producing, our, our goal is to produce two physical zines per year. And then in the meantime, we're trying to build our digital content. So low commitment was definitely not what we ended up with. But uh, yeah, we tweeted about it and got this massive response that we did not expect from people who just showed up in our inboxes and were like, I don't know what you're doing or like what you need help with, but I'm here and I want to help, you know? And we we're like, okay, cool. So this is clearly needed. And then we came up with the concept of doing a zine. And then we found Carrie Allison, who's our design editor and also an angel. We're really grateful for Carrie. Um, but once we met Carrie, things just kind of, you know, fell into place a little bit. And Kickstarter seemed like the most intuitive form of funding because we don't have you know angel investors or, or wealthy parents that we can borrow money from or anything like that so kickstarter was it's a it's a crowdfunded platform and we had gotten such a large response to just the concept of fat venture that we were like hey maybe people will help us produce this and then they showed up in droves and they did and we way exceeded our goal which was really really cool Let's hear more now about what exactly is in that first issue of Fat Venture Magazine. So for issue one, you know, we got pitches about doing ballet 
as a fat non-binary person, we got pitches about uh, figure skating, which I personally don't do because I do not like my feet moving without my permission. And so I sometimes forget that that's even like a thing <laughs> that exists in the world. So when we got that pitch, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. And like ice dancing or whatever you want to call it is so like, so shamey about weight, especially because, you know, the people that we see who do it um, in the Olympics or who do it professionally are often very, very small and would never be caught dead eating because their coaches don't let them. You know, like that's kind of the the vibe that I get from that culture. We got a lot of pitches about hiking. We got a lot of pitches about going outside, you know, and doing various different types of activities. Um, we got a pitch about playing rugby in high school and how it became something that was really shameful for the person who was, pl- who was playing the game because um, her coach was like, oh, you are big, so you're going to be my secret weapon. And like the way that we kind of tokenize fat people or make them feel like they don't belong, not even by just being like, hey, you can't participate in this, but by being like, if you participate in this, it has to be because you are fat, so you will occupy this specific role. Um, one of my favorite pieces in our first issue is, uh, it's actually a look at what it's like to be a fat nutritionist. So it's written by Dr. Emma Beckett and she is crazy accomplished. She has like all these degrees. <laughs> Alice and I were like, whoa, when we saw her, her pitch, uh, but she, she's a fat nutritionist. And when she writes about nutrition or when she talks about nutrition and people can't see her, they have one reaction to her work. And then when she talks about nutrition and they can see her, like if she's at a conference, they have a totally different reaction to her work because there's very much that idea that like, well, if you're a nutrition expert, you cannot possibly be fat. Like, no, that's not how that works. Nutrition is not something that's exclusively limited to people who are thin bodied or able bodied or white or whatever. Um, and then one of my other favorite pieces is a, a piece about one of our non-binary writers, KJ Gormley, who um, started doing weightlifting as a means of reconnecting with their body. Um, and there are a lot – the reason that I like that piece is, A, it's really vulnerable. It's a really, really well-written piece. Um, I've worked with KJ before and KJ's great. But what I like about it is that there are these moments of humor that are really unexpected because the topics that KJ is writing about are really serious. KJ is like, no, like I'm transitioning, trying to reconnect with my body. Like that's so hard. Bodies suck. And then KJ's like, you know, I wore a Star Wars t-shirt and some Converse every time I went to the gym. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, um, or like they refer to one of their personal trainers as an Insta hottie. And like, you know, it's just like little, you know, little moments that I like didn't expect. Um, my cat is trying really hard to push all of your podcasting equipment off the desk right now. I'm so sorry um, if this makes it into the actual podcast. Great. But yeah, so that was a lot of stuff that like surprised and kind of delighted me. There's also a lot of really intense emotion in the pieces in our first issue, which didn't really surprise me because I think, as you may have noticed earlier, that talking about our experiences as fat people makes us really emotional. But the vulnerability that people presented for these pieces, whether it was art or writing, and then gave to us and said, okay, here you go. You know, let's work on editing this together and then put it out into the world. Like, I'm very, very humbled by how much trust our contributors put in us as an editorial team in Fat Ventures community because we really have grown quite a community out of this project, even just in the last, you know. And it's it's amazing to see not only the scope of what people are writing and drawing in our first issue, but also 
the depth to which they explore those topics, you know, because like, like I said, there's stuff that I never even would have thought about. And then there's stuff that like we read the pitch and we were like, yeah, this is super relatable. I know exactly what this feels like, <laughs> you know, so that's also cool, too, because it's like you, you get to share those experiences, but then you also get to be like, oh, huh, OK, all right. And then on the flip side of that, be like, I don't understand this. Please explain it. And then you get to have some really cool conversations, which I really like. One of the things that impresses me the most about Fat Venture Magazine, in addition, of course, to these amazing pieces that we just heard about, is their deep commitment to refusing diet culture, to rejecting it outright, and to making a magazine that's about fatness and adventure, but not about dieting, which feels so revolutionary to me as a person who grew up with a million issues of fitness and shape and health in you know, my living room or my bedroom as a kid and a teenager, and frankly, like an adult in her 20s as well. So to really highlight the difference between magazines like that, that we get from the mainstream and what Fat Venture is doing, I asked Sam if she could kind of reverse engineer Fat Venture. Imagine what it would be like if there was a mainstream magazine about fatness and travel that didn't share this commitment to rejecting diet culture. And she does a really fantastic job of kind of showing us like what that would look like. So hear her reverse engineer some of those pieces we heard about before now. So I think, yeah, so I think, you know, there would be pieces like, I'm actually just going to open our table of contents and see if I can like transform some of these. Okay. So like three tips for beginner fat cyclists. It's one of our listicles by Allie Hector, right? So if it was in a magazine that like really embraced diet culture, it would be the exact same headline, except that instead of being like, here's gear that you can use in a fat body and feel comfortable and safe on your bike, it would be like, here's gear that you can buy that will help you sweat out your weight while you're biking. Right. Or it would be like, here's food that you can buy that's low on calorie, but will make you feel full so that you don't pass out while you're hiking. Um, or like, like this piece that's like a fat ballet in three acts that Christine wrote. Fat ballet in three acts. Act one would be like, I was a fat ballerina. Act two would be like, and then I lost weight. And act three would be like, now I'm a perfect ballerina. You know what I mean? Like it would be like that. And it would be so absurd and so ridiculous. And everybody would probably look at it and be like, This is dumb. Nobody talks like this. But that's the thing. We all talk like that. Everybody thinks of weight like that, you know, and there would probably be a lot of stuff in there, too, about like good foods and bad foods (laughs) and how like if you're an active fatty, then you're a good fatty. And if you're a non-active fatty, then you're a bad fatty, which is ridiculous. And we actually we had somebody who pointed that out to us when we started this project. They were like, do you feel like you're purporting the idea that active fatties are good fatties? And we were like, we hope not, because ultimately that's not what we're trying to say. Um, and I think one of the things that we learned through this process too, or at least that I learned is that like the way that I am active is not necessarily the way that somebody else is active. Um, and so we, we have a couple pieces for issue two, um, that I'm very excited about that are about more kind of low level activity that are not focused on like being outdoors and going hiking or whatever. We still have a lot of that, but we also have these pieces that are like, and then, you know, this is how this person enjoys moving in their body, which I think is really cool. Now that we've heard all about Fat Venture, and of course there's more to tell, but I want to move into the more personal parts of the conversation that I had with Sam. So if we think back all the way to her introducing herself, she talked about two things that really struck my interest and I asked about. The first was, you know, not riding a bike for so many for not riding a bike for over a decade and then taking it back up again and becoming a biking commuter. I wanted to hear more about that was like, and the second was something that she referred to as coming out as fat. And 
it's kind of a phrase I wasn't familiar with and wanted to learn more about what it meant to her. So here's Sam talk about both of those things now. So the biking one is short, and then I can talk about coming out as fat if you'd like. So, uh, so when I was a, a kid, I think I was six or seven the first time that I got a bike with training wheels, and I was riding it up and down the street in front of my my family's house, and uh, the family dog ran out in front of me. And I tried to slam on my brakes. And it was one of those, you go backwards on the pedals to hit the brakes bikes. And it didn't work. And I flew off my bike. And I skinned my knees really, really bad. And then I did not want to ride my bike ever again. <laughs> but like a year after that, I think that was like second grade. So like a year after that, um, my whole third grade class was going to ride their bikes to the beach. And then have a beach day. And then ride their bikes back. And I was like, okay. And on previous beach trips like this, my mom had driven me because I didn't know how to ride a bike. And now it was like, I have a bike and I kind of know how to ride it. And I want to go on the beach trip. I want to ride my bike. So I learned how to ride and then we went. And then I had bikes up until probably when I was like, I don't know, 11 or 12. And then uh, I moved in with my grandmother and my mom and my stepdad moved out of state. So I didn't have a bike when I was a preteen and a teen. And that was when I like when my weight kind of really blew up was sort of through puberty, but also, you know, through depression and self-harm and all those things that kind of crop up when you're a teenager and life is really messy and you don't know what to do with it. So I didn't have a bike. And then when I became an adult, I got a car. (laughs) So then I didn't have a bike. And then when I moved in with my partner, um, we lived outside of Providence and had a car, worked at the mall, really hated my job. And I was like, okay, we're going to sell the car. We're going to move. I'm going to get a new job. (laughs) So went through a lot of really rapid change over the course of like a month. And then I had to start walking to work because I had no car. And my, my job, it's it's 45 minutes across town and it's up a big hill. (laughs) So walking is fine, but like not great. So Reed was like, you should ride a bike that's what you should do. You should get a bike. Like we can ride bikes together. And I was like, I haven't been on a bike in a really long time. Like, I don't know. And the first morning that we went out and rode our bikes, Reed went with me the first morning. Um, I cried pretty much the whole way from my apartment to my place of work. And then, but I kept, you know, I was like, okay, I was like, I'm going to ride my bike home. And, you know, and so for the first few weeks that I was riding my bike in Providence, I would get off when the traffic was too intense and I would walk down the sidewalk with it because I was like genuinely afraid of getting hit by a car and dying. Now I'm a huge asshole when I'm on my bike. And if people try to cut me off, I like scream all kinds of obscenities. So, you know, things, things change over time. But, um, then I remember like day three, I think I posted on Instagram. I was like, becoming a bike commuter is really hard. My legs really hurt. I feel like I'm never going to walk again. (laughs) Like This sucks. And then the next morning I woke up and my legs didn't hurt at all. And I was able to ride my bike with no problem. So I'm not a person who has always been great at persevering, especially in face of like physical hardship. Um, And biking really taught me how to do that in a really unexpected way. And now I love to bike. It's really fun. We go on long rides together. Um, There's a bike path here that is a little over 30 miles round trip that we love to do. You know, so it's, it's, it's been a journey, but it's fun. Um, but yeah, it was like 13 years in between riding a bike. That's a long time. And that, that expression, like, it's just like riding a bike. That's kind of true, but also like, it's really not because you go to get on a bike after 13 years, not being on a bike and you have no idea what to do with any of your limbs. It's like, how do I balance on this thing? Like, how do I go? Like, what if I crash? Like, and then if your seat's too high or too, oh my God, there's so many factors. But yeah, so that's kind of how I how that worked out. Coming out as fat on the internet and in real life are weird experiences. So I've been fat my whole life. 
like I said, I, I got a lot bigger as a teenager, which that's fine. Um, and it took me a really long time to kind of get to the point where I was like, you know, I'm fat and that's cool. And I can be fat and not be super focused on trying to lose weight all the time because that's really, really toxic. It's damaging for all parts of your health, I think. Like Virgie Tovar, who's a a fat scholar, she writes about, you know, how diet culture is something that makes people feel as though they have to constantly be trying to lose their weight no matter what size they are or they're not doing something right. And that's not something that's like ingrained in us from birth. It's something that we learn, right? She has this really um, great passage in her new book where she talks about when she was a little kid and she used to come home from school and she would take off all her clothes and then she would like stand in front of the mirror and jiggle and just watch her body jiggle. And I was like, oh, this is really relatable. Um, I get made fun of a lot because I hate wearing clothes at home. And so, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah. But um, but then at the same time, like, I don't know at what point I started to think, oh, I'm I'm a fat kid and that's not okay. But I do distinctly remember, I actually wrote about this in my editor's note for, for Fat Venture. Um, I remember telling my grandmother when I was three or four that I wanted to call Weight Watchers. And she was like, she laughed at me and she was like, you're ridiculous. Like, you don't need to call Weight Watchers. Like, you're a toddler. <laughs> and I was like, no, like, I need to call Weight Watchers. Like, I'm fat. And I picked up the phone and she took the phone away from me and she was horrified. But yeah, so then as an adult in college, I went to the gym all the time. And that really helps with things like my anxiety, <laughs> you know, general. That's what biking helps with too. Um, I also take meds for my anxiety because I think that people who argue that exercise is the only form of dealing with mental illness is they're they're wrong. They're incorrect. Please don't listen to those people. If you need to be medicated, take medicine. Um, and in college, I was in a relationship with somebody who claimed to be really accepting of my size and my weight, and then that turned out to be really not the case. And it's kind of a huge betrayal when somebody that you really love and really put your faith in to not only accept the parts about you that you're not so sure about, but love you in spite of or because of or whatever. It really sucks when that person turns out to not be who you thought they were and when they kind of throw that back in your face. So I had gone on this really long journey of like, okay, cool. Like I take my space angle selfies for the internet and I look really pretty in them. And then people tell me that I look hot on Tumblr and that's awesome. And then I would share like more real selfies with that one specific person. And then at a certain point, I was like, okay, I clearly can't do that anymore. And then that kind of returning fear of, oh, okay, well, how do I meet somebody new who's not going to do the same thing? And then I met my current partner, who's great. And through that relationship, but also through developing friendships with other fat people who were really comfortable in their bodies, which is so powerful and also dedicated therapy, which, you know, which helps deal with my body issues and all those things. Um, I was able to finally be like, no, you know what? I'm fat and I'm going to talk about being fat. And once I opened myself up to that and started talking about being fat on the internet, I opened myself up to two things. Number one, significantly more material to write about. And number two, a hell of a lot of harassment, mostly from shitty men. I'm obviously not the only woman on the internet who experiences harassment from shitty men. <laughs> certainly not the only fat woman on the internet who experiences harassment from shitty men. But then at the same time, it was very empowering to be able to be like, no, hey, you know, this is what I look like. This is how my body behaves. And these are the things that I do in that body. And there's definitely a lot of power in reclaiming that and in just being like, no, like fat is a descriptor. It's not a moral word. You can't ascribe moral value to something that literally describes a shape or a size. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of association with the word fat 
the, you know, slobby, lazy, unattractive, dumb, blah, 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 whatever. And even like a few months ago, I wrote a piece for this outlet, The Mary Sue, about how we need more fat superheroes in comics. And they shared it on their Facebook page and somebody commented and said, how rude to use the word fat. Why not use something else like plus size or overweight? And I was like, but I'm not plus size or overweight and neither are these super, these people are fat. Like we're fat. It's fine. It's fine. And so part, like it sounds so silly, but even just the work of getting people to use the word fat and not cringe at it is so hard. And it's an everyday thing because as soon as you go, oh yeah, well I'm fat. People go, no, you're not. Okay. Or they go, but you're beautiful as if those things are mutually exclusive. And then like my partner, when my partner talks about me, my partner will say, oh yeah, my wife is a fat woman who runs a magazine that features work by other fat people. And people are like, you can't, my my partner is not fat for the record. And so people will be like, you can't, you can't say that about your wife. My partner's like, did I say that she's unattractive? Did I say that she's stupid? Did I say that she's slobby? Did I say any of the things that you're thinking? No, I said, she's fat. That's on you. That's not on me. And I know that other people have similar experiences with that where like the first time that you post, you know, an honest selfie or that you really talk about the way that your body looks and moves and that jiggle that Virgie Tovar mentions, like people get upset, which is weird. It's really weird. Because honestly, once I was like, nah, I'm fat. My life improved by like leaps and bounds. And I think that this is where like body positivity and fat acceptance get kind of weird too because body positivity has really been co-opted by like straight-sized wealthy white women who want to wear Lululemon and be like, love your body, but then they don't like fat people. Lululemon doesn't make clothes for fat people, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, but in that that comes from fat acceptance, which was, a, which was a radical political movement started by black women during the civil rights fight of the 60s. So... When people are like, oh, body positivity, cool. I'm down with the idea that everybody should feel comfortable in their bodies, whatever that means. Body sovereignty, all about it. I actually, I interviewed um, Jessamine Stanley for our first issue, which was so cool because Jessamine Stanley is great. Um, and she said at a certain point, you know, she was like, listen, she was like, body positivity is about cis, hetero, white hegemony. Like, it's not about any kind of acceptance. It's about people being able to be like, yeah, I'm body positive. Great. And she said that she encounters a lot of pushback when she gets like when brands reach out to her and stuff, or even when people come to her work from from her book or from seeing her on the news or whatever. And they realize that she's, you know, like a radical black feminist. And she's like, yeah. no, I'm not here to cater to the straight male gaze. And I'm not here to cater to the the white women's gaze. Um, and I think that that's really uncomfortable for people. (laughs) But I think that we also put too much stock in being like, I am a body positive fat acceptance, you know, raging warrior because I think that we should make more plus size clothes, which we should. We should absolutely do that. And fashion can be radical. But there are other fights that we need to be like looking at. You know what I mean? So And so I appreciate that Jessamine Stanley is one of those people who's like, okay, cool. Now let's take it a step further. Virgie Tovar too. Like Virgie Tovar is a badass. If you're interested in the work of Jessamine Stanley or Virgie Tovar, I'll be sure to include them in the show notes so you can find where to follow them there. Before we wrap up this interview, I asked Sam if she could share kind of words of advice or parts of her experience of fatness where she's still working to root out fat phobia. And I really appreciated kind of the two points that she made that were super vulnerable and ways that she's still doing the work of being a person who has to teach herself to love and 
appreciate fatness. So hear her advice and her vulnerability now. So we put way too much stock in the way that people look and the things that they're doing and how they're doing them and when they're doing them and why they're doing them and where they're doing them and blah, blah, blah. Like I really just, I need, I need everybody to really think about the fact that there is never any reason to comment on somebody else's body unless you have been explicitly invited to do so. For sure. Um, and I think that some of that too, because it takes shape of like, like I used to, and I, I still do it sometimes and it's so, so ingrained. And I try to like kind of call myself out on it now mentally where I would see people, especially when I was younger and be like, oh, okay, well, at least I'm not that fat. You know what I mean? And that's just, and I'm, and I'm, I know that I'm not the only one who does that, but it's something that we definitely like need to kind of examine and, you know, take yeah. to heart. Um, like it's, it's okay to be fat until. What do you mean until? No, it's either okay to be fat or it's not okay to be fat. The answer is it's okay to be fat for the record. Um, But yeah, that's – I encounter that a lot. And even like as a fat person who is trying to be more aware of those types of things, like I still think that sometimes. And the catching yourself and like actively being like, oh, you know, pardon my language, but like I fucked up, I'm sorry, is really important. Thanks so much to Sam for being on the podcast and to Fat Venture Magazine for doing such badass – work in the world. Again, they are currently crowdfunding on Kickstarter. So I will include a big link to that in the show notes. Please go support them if you can. They have all sorts of cool swag that you can get in exchange for a donation and support of their magazine. Next week, we are already on the second to last episode of season two. So make sure that you're subscribed. If you have a second, leave a rating or a review in iTunes and let the world know that you love listening to 50 Feminist States. I can't wait for the last two episodes. There's still a whole lot of good in the season. Until then, I'll see you on the road. tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist States. You can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministstates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Neria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.